You're listening to Simperitz Radio, episode number 166, and today we're learning how to stop the anxiety spiral. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. And now your host, Alexa Sherm. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is the place to get healthy, live happy, and find more joy. Today, we're talking about the anxiety spiral. Yes, you know the one, the one that causes tunnel vision and just leads you down this dark and damaging road to doom. (laughs) I think we're all accustomed to the anxiety spiral at some point or another, but today on the show, Allie Worthington is going to come on and help us learn exactly what the anxiety spiral is and how we can stop the process today. She's going to give you all the facts that you need to implement this into your life and nix anxiety at less than 15 seconds. I know we all struggle with anxiety at some point or another, and even more than just the anxiety spiral, Allie is going to share her own journey of dealing with anxiety, overcoming it, and we're also going to talk about her own health journey, frustration she has, and my little piece of encouragement to her in the midst of not losing as much weight as she had hoped. I think a story so many of us face. So stay tuned as we dive in with Allie, but don't forget, you can download my free guide to go along with this anxiety mindset series called The Joy Experiment over in the show notes at simperitswellness.com backslash 164. I know we've been talking a lot about anxiety because clearly it's the anxiety series and it might be overwhelming and frustrating, but I think you're starting to pick up on clues that a lot of these battle plans and this anxiety spiral plan, it's a lot of the same thing. And I'm just hoping that somewhere along the lines, it resonates with you and you can start to implement this into your own life, creating your own plan to fight against anxiety. But like I said, all the information can be found in the show notes at simpresswellness.com backslash 164, where you can download that guide and start to work through it to create a plan that works for you. And not just a plan to beat anxiety, but to come out of it powerful and using that power for great things and joy and and happiness. So like I said, today we're interviewing Allie Worthington. She's a three-time guest on the show. She's a wealth of information, my personal business coach and mentor, someone I love deeply and I've known for a while. Allie is also so much more than that. She's an author, a speaker, the owner and co-creator of a conference called Blissdom, which is coming up in November. If you're a business guru or want to start your own business, it's a great place to go and learn more. I know I'm going to be there and I would love to meet you there as well. But like I said, Allie has a host of different books, including books like Breaking Busy, Fierce Faith, The Year of Living Happy, and she's going to give us a little insight on the fourth book that's coming out soon. So like I mentioned, today on the show, we're going to dive into the anxiety spiral and creating a plan to help you overcome anxiety for good. So stay tuned and let's welcome Allie to the show. Welcome to the show, Allie. This is the third time to have you on, and I just love having you on. (laughs) I'm so excited to be back. I can't believe I get to come back again. I know. Well, I mean, you're just going to be a repeated guest forever, I think. So (laughs) way to bear with me. But today we're going to talk about a subject that, well, I'm going to talk about a lot of different subjects with you. But I think that they're ones that you've walked through, you've experienced, and I've personally learned a lot from you in these seasons. You've written a few books about them. You're coming out with a new book soon. I don't know if we can get any details about that. But I I really just want to dive in and just first talk about anxiety because we're doing a whole anxiety series this summer. And I just want to get your take. What is anxiety to you? 
Well, it's funny because there seems to be people try to break out anxiety is this or fear is this and worry is this. And I just kind of clump all three of those things together in mm-hmm. this generalized unease. Because we can we can try to break them out and go into detail and go into, you know, look in the dictionary for each word. But we know when we're feeling it. Mm-hmm. We know when we're feeling afraid. We know when we're upset and worried about something in the future. And it's just this big kind of mess of negative feelings. And learning to identify it, to go, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. And it's okay. I'm going to survive. I'm going to get through this. Take some of the stress off of us when we are feeling afraid or worried or anxious. Yeah, because I think, I mean, I've heard anxiety just summed up, like you said, kind of in fear. You kind of clumped all three together. But just this out of control fear of the unknown, maybe, about what's to happen. But I think it can be about the past, too. And you've gone through a lot of hard things. And I think we've mentioned a few on the past shows that you've talked about, but you've gone through the passing of your dad at a very early age, bankruptcy, a sick husband. You've even dealt with your own health issues. How, what <laughs> what has been your, your walk with anxiety? For a long time, I never would have said that I had any anxiety or I wasn't dealing with fear at all. In my mind, I was just stressed. I was mm. just going through difficulties Things were hard. I was stressed. But if, but in fact, I had friends who came to me that said, I don't know how you're kind of carrying this weight of fear that you have on your shoulders. And I would go, I'm not afraid. I'm not anxious. I'm just, I'm just going through a tough time. Mm-hmm. But it's how we manage those difficult times that we have to be aware of. Because so when I was, you know, going through the season of my husband being so sick, my anxiety about what was going to happen next and, you know, where where was the rug going to get pulled out from underneath us next time in those moments that I should have had peace or I should have felt okay, I couldn't let myself relax because my anxiety inside was always screaming at me about what was going to go wrong next. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that there was always going to be something. So do you feel right. like once you transitioned, and I've always wondered this because I, I think I would have said before the last few years that I didn't really have a problem with anxiety either, but then I started calling it by its name. And I can't yeah. tell, am I giving, sometimes I feel like I give anxiety more power than it deserves, but then in other times I feel like there is power in just calling it what it is. Like how have you transitioned from not really saying that it was anxiety to stress to understanding that it was? Like how do you kind of walk through that? Well, clarity is always important. We want to be able to have words for the way we're feeling, because if we don't, if we're not in connection with what we're feeling, if we're not connected with it at all, then it can become overwhelming. And we're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm going through this again. I don't know what's going on. But when we can kind of be students of ourselves and be self-aware and understand, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious because I was thinking about something and now I'm in an anxiety spiral, for instance. And we'll talk about the anxiety spiral later. It gives you great power because just the fact that you can name it and understand it makes sense. But what we want to be careful with is we want to, we don't want to give it more power than it deserves. So mm-hmm. just because we can say I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling fearful or worried, it doesn't mean that we have to stay there. Because that's just the first step. The first step is awareness. And then the second step is using some great tools to pull ourselves out of it. Yeah. What are some of those great tools that you would use? Well, my favorite, and I wrote about this one in Fierce Faith, and I still use it all the time. It's how to stop an anxiety spiral. Mm -hmm. And it's just a couple simple steps. The first thing that you want to do when you find yourself in an anxiety spiral, I often will do it just driving down the road. Something will happen. I think about one thing. I think about another thing. And by the time I get to my destination, I'm completely stressed out and I'm worried Mm -hmm. about something. 
So the first step is to identify your trigger. There's always a trigger for an anxiety spiral. It can be a situation that you're in. It can be a thought that goes through your head. It can be bad news that you received where, you know, you're going along your day. Everything's fine. And then something happens and it triggers you. I like to think of a trigger as like a light switch. And when it gets flipped, we flip out. <laughs> so for me, I'm, I'm very aware of my triggers now, kind of being a student of myself for a while. My triggers are always financial. Mm-hmm. It came from you know, growing up, as you mentioned before, losing my dad at an early age, growing up um, in poverty and always, you know, it's it's a question of do do we go to the doctor when we're sick or do we have electricity, that mm-hmm. sort of poverty. And for me, even though financially I'm successful, things are secure, things are good, if I get an unexpected bill or I know there's a large payment on something coming that's a surprise – it will send me into an anxiety spiral about finances, just like I was an eight-year-old girl. Mm. Mm-hmm. So just being aware of our triggers helps us kind of be a little bit self-aware, but be self-accepting to go, I'm, I'm stressed out right now. I'm in an anxiety spiral. I'm really worried about something. Okay, wait a minute. What happened? What was my trigger? Mm. And then we understand what our triggers are, and it helps us, it helps us be good to ourselves. Because when we're in an anxiety spiral, it feels like the whole world's coming down around us. But when we can hone in and go, oh, I'm actually upset about this, and this is one of my common triggers, it helps us go, okay, the world isn't falling down. I'm just upset about this one thing. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing you do is you identify your triggers. The second thing you want to do is you want to play what I call the so what game. (laughs) And this came from me when I was a teenage girl, my very wise mother knew that she needed backup with me. And so she sent me to a counselor. And I would go into this counselor's office and I would be, you know, as a dramatic 16-year-old girl would do, I'd sit down and tell her all of the ways that life was terrible and this drama and that drama and all the other stuff. And then one day I'm telling her some scenario that I'm worried about and I'm having all this anxiety. And she said, okay, that that you just described, Say that's the worst case scenario. So what? Mm-hmm. And I said, so what? <laughs> I mean, so what? And I, I start telling her, it's so terrible. Life's over, yada, yada, yada. She said, would you die if this worst case scenario happens? And I said, no. She said, would you be okay? Would you survive if this happens? Yes. And so she took me through all these questions. And what it allowed me to do is go, even if the worst case scenario in this situation happens, I'm going to be okay. Hmm. And it takes some of the power away from it because when we're worried about things, we tend to globalize it and we think everything's terrible. Yeah. And then you really want to take a step back and challenge your own thoughts about what's causing the anxiety. And the first thing you want to do is go, is this real or is this perceived? Like, mm-hmm. is this something that's really happening or is this something I'm imagining? Mm-hmm. And very often it's something that we're imagining. Mm-hmm. But if it's something real, we want to go on to a second question. And that is, is this something that's likely to happen or unlikely to happen? Like I live in Nashville. I could be anxious because I feel like Nashville is going to fall into a sinkhole and be swallowed up forever. But is that likely no. Right. And if it's not likely, we get to make the decision to go, okay, I'm just, I'm going to put that on the shelf because I know mm-hmm. it's not likely. But here's the thing. If it's real and if it's likely, then you go into the third question and that's, can I do anything about it? Because sometimes 
we do have negative things coming at us that we can't do anything about. And if that's mm-hmm. the case, we have to just make a plan to cope. Mm-hmm. But if there is something coming at us that we go, uh, you know what, I can do something about that to stop it. Then you go into the third step, and that's make a plan. So you're either going to make a plan on how you can cope if something Mm -hmm. bad happens that you can't change, or you make a plan on what you can do to make sure that this bad thing doesn't happen. Right. So that's it in a nutshell. Identify your triggers, play the so what game for the worst case scenario, and then make a plan. Mm -hmm. And going now that it, it took a long time to describe it. But I can do that in my head in about 30 seconds when I'm driving down the road, when I'm feeling anxious about something. And it takes the power of that anxiety away Mm -hmm. and helps me regain composure. Because even if something negative is happening and it's it's real, it's likely, and we can do something about it, just the fact that we can make a plan helps us regain a sense of control. And that brings about more peace and more calmness. So we're not just feeling anxiety and feeling out of control about things. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that it's just a series of questions because I think sometimes it just boils down to asking the right questions. Yeah. And I like to envision like anxiety quivering at the thought of you like (laughs) having power over it because I think that's what anxiety works so hard in our life is to be the power. Totally. Um, and yeah, so just asking the right questions can pull yourself back out of that. But again, it's it's being willing to do that. And you mentioned something which you've been challenging me outside of just this podcast because we do business coaching, as I mentioned mm-hmm. before. But you mentioned your eight-year-old little girl. Yeah. And you this week actually challenged me to go back and start working on my inner child too. And that's just not a place. Like, honestly, I've never asked questions about that on here because it's not a place that I really want to go. (laughs) I want to go. So I've been avoiding it, but you brought it up. And it's just like one of those questions that I want to ask, how did you heal that inner self? Or like, what what is the process of that? Well, I'm not an expert on that. So I'll just give kind of my, my own experience. Generally, so many of us are living sub unconsciously out of a place of woundings that we've had in childhood. Mm-hmm. especially for people, now, I've, I've already shared my, my wounding, so I have financial issues, but for many people, if you grow up in a home, for instance, where your parents are really harsh or really critical, or you know that you can't depend on your parents, they're not trustworthy, um, maybe you had an alcoholic parent or an abusive parent or there was mental illness in your family, we are really living our adult lives with an open wound inside mm-hmm. of us. And Many of our interactions and the way we think about life and the way we the way we engage with life is colored subconsciously by the experiences we had growing up. Because you think you grew up in your family of origin for 18 years and that sticks with you. Mm -hmm. You learned how you learned how to see yourself. You learned how to engage with other people. You learned if it was okay to trust others, if you could depend on others. You learned how to perceive yourself based on how people around you treated you. Mm. These are things that stick with us for our entire lifetime. But generally, we get to adulthood and go, okay, here I go. I'm Mm -hmm. ready to live my life. But we've never dealt with all of the all the beliefs, all the patterns, all the all the thoughts that we had growing up, good or bad. And so there's great power for us to be able to go back and go, I'm just, I'm going to examine the way I learned about life back in the day, because I want to make sure I'm as healthy as I can be today. And I'm not taking any 
misdirection or or habits that aren't helpful for me or patterns that aren't helpful for, for me that I may have learned in childhood, I want to make sure that those aren't holding me back now in adulthood. Mm. Mm-hmm. What are some resources, I guess, that you would have someone go to to help heal this? Well, it's not I believe... something I feel like we that we hear a lot about. Do you feel like no. that or am I just living in a bubble? Never. No, people okay. don't talk about it a lot. Um, it, it was very... It was very popular, I think, in the 80s and 90s, Mm. but I think that we don't hear about it a lot in pop culture right now because everything goes in phases. Mm. Mm -hmm. Everyone, I believe, should be going to see a great counselor. Mm -hmm. I think that it's, it's... it's as important as going to the gym. It's as important as eating well. I mean, we need to be taking care of our minds. We need mm-hmm. to have somebody looking out for us, somebody going, hey, this behavior over here, tell me why you think that's healthy. Like, mm-hmm. we need we need somebody who is invested in us enough to make sure that our minds are as healthy as every other part of our body. Um, the, the author, John Bradshaw. He's done, and you can just find him on Amazon under John Bradshaw. He's done a work with, he's done some books on healing the inner child, family of origin, lots of great work. If if anyone's listening and you read Brene Brown, Brene and John often talk about the same research. So, mm-hmm. I mean, research is research. They just talk about it in different ways. Um, but really, really good stuff, really important stuff to, mm-hmm. to invest your time in. But it is something that, that people need to go over. I think I think it's great to read it. I think it's great to dive in. But you want to talk to a professional who can guide you through that process of healing. Mm-hmm. I think that there is some, some thought, and I could be wrong about this, but I feel like maybe even with me, like I think, oh, my childhood wasn't that bad. You know, like I think that we can come from really great childhoods but still have an issue. Do you feel like that's true? Oh, 100%. Like in some Every- way, we all need to go back there, right? Every family is made up of humans. Right. So no matter how much we love each other, no matter how, you know, quote unquote perfect it is, there are still patterns that we learn. There's still sometimes we will pick up a message that our parents never meant to give us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll pick up something from an experience in school. Sometimes we'll pick up an experience from, you know, a first love or friends as we're growing up. But because we've never, especially when when you're a teenager, for instance, you've never experienced these things before. Right. So when you experience some things for the first time, it leaves an impact on you and it can it can color the way that you engage in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's all it's all those stories that we tell ourselves. I've been really fascinated with the stories that we've been telling ourselves. And you talk a lot about this, too, but. Just like how we each have our own perception. Like I could be in the same exact room with you and perceive something completely different happening than you could. Oh, yeah. And that story changes our brain chemistry and it changes our body and, and just how we live our life. And it's just a crazy, like you said, it's it's very important that we get the help that we need to help someone walk us through this. Because this journey, like I feel like I'm on it right now and I couldn't do it without ex- external help. I would never, I would never be going there. You know, like I would just be pushing it off and shoving it down and pretending like it didn't happen. Like I still want to do without someone else guiding me and helping me through that. Um, And so we need that. But I think, I think in this too, like, I think it's easy to push that stuff down and then drive forward or chase something else or run after something else in hopes that it's going to make everything better. 
Yes. And, you know, we live in this world right now where if we just believe it, it's going to happen. Or if we write it down enough times, it must be true. You know, like we, we have all these almost false expectations that I see so many people running after. And I just get worried. <laughs> and yeah. I I want to I know your advice on that, because I think we do live in this very unbalanced, unhealthy state of we kind of suppress the past. We're learning to chase or hustle after something, maybe without putting it all together. Like we're just almost the people I feel like that are running away rather than staying. Well, it's the classic behavior of if I can if I can just get the approval of this person, then I'll be happy. If I can just do this, I can be happy. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about this in Fierce Faith. Some research shows that we tend to delay our happiness because we'll go when we're young. We go, oh, when I when I move out on my own, I'll be happy. Oh, when I get the perfect job, I'll be happy. When I get married, I'll get I'll be happy. When I have kids, I'll be happy. When the kids go to school, I'll be happy. Over and over and over again, we. We go, in the future, I'm going to be happy if I if I achieve this, if I get to this place. So this is really a continuation of that. And it's, you know, if I can have perfect health, I'll be happy. If mm-hmm. I start a business and make a million dollars a year, then I'll be happy. The problem is, it's not just me saying this. Research shows that no matter what we achieve, no matter what level of success we get, whatever we, you know, mark off on our goal sheets, we will have the same level of happiness that we had before. Mm-hmm. But... Some things, I think because of internet culture especially, things look really sexy right now. Things look really great. And we see pictures of people going, they just, they look amazing and they're so happy and their marriage is perfect. And, you know, they're they're always drinking their green smoothies and everything's amazing. And if I could just be more like that, then I'd be happy. So, again, we're subconsciously believing this lie that if we can achieve, we'll be happy. Mm -hmm. If we can just achieve more things, if we have more money, if we have greater health, then magically we'll be happier. But happier happiness is always an inside job because no matter what we achieve, if we haven't done the work on the inside, we're not going to be able to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To recognize all those little things that are so hard. And I, I mean, I'm learning more and more about myself, but just being a runner and you know, running away. And I, I look at our, our world and I think it is so much easier to run after something or to start something new. Like even if we get into the health space, like how many people just jump from diet to diet to diet, hoping, wishing that maybe something will work, right? Instead of just finishing what's already been started. Yeah. And yeah, that's a great point. I I just wonder what would change if we could become finishers of something. And I mean, you probably can relate this all back because you see people even in the business space um, and people like me who want to chase after a hundred different things, but you're really great about saying like, no, you need to be here. So how do you help someone to just be here? Even if it hurts, even if it's painful, or even if it's not where you want to be, like, how do you help someone to just be here? Do you mean in a business perspective or in an overall life perspective? I think just the overall life perspective. That's one of the hardest things to get people to do mm-hmm. because it's, Generally, just being here involves discomfort because if we are uncomfortable with where we are right now, we won't be running for something new or wanting to try something new. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times it's just making the case that there's healing that mm-hmm. needs to happen. There's greater levels of, of internal health that needs to happen. And we can keep running. We can keep jumping thing to thing. But until we're willing to do that work to get better, we're just going to keep bringing our problems and ourselves into our future. Yeah. And normally that takes that takes years to mm-hmm. really get through. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I told you yesterday on our call that 
I feel like my problems are always following me because <laughs> I don't want to deal with them. And I think that's so true. It's just like you can get to a new phase or a new life, but they're always there. And I also see, even in myself, I, I feel like it's easy to not want to deal with the past, but also to feel like the past was the best years. You know, like I think it's, yeah. it's like this weird place that we live in, like the space of, oh, there's something so much better for you. But I feel like it's so hard to envision something different than what we've already gone through. Totally. And so I feel like I constantly see myself and I feel like this for other people, like even in the health space of, oh, I just want to get back to my pre-baby weight or what I used to look like instead of thinking and recognizing that there could be something better or there could be something different. And just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong. Like as you've walked through every season of your life, how have you, how have you maintained joy and and you've kind of told us how you fought anxiety, but how, how do you mm-hmm. manage all of this? That's a big question. Well, here's something fascinating and moderately frustrating. So when I decided I was going to write the book, The Year of Living Happy, my, my last book, I really wanted to read I – I wanted to get paid, honestly, to read every bit of research that's ever done mm-hmm. in happiness, which was a joy because, hello, I'm a businesswoman. <laughs> Why not get paid for it? And I read every bit of boring – tedious research that's been done in the past 50 years on happiness. And I thought, I'm going to find out all the secrets. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of great tricks, and I kind of I write them in The Year of Loving Happy. But the one thing that stood out above all else, according to research, is the practice of gratitude. Mm. That truly brings happiness. And I, every time I would come upon a new piece of research, you could just roll my eyes like, oh, the gratitude. This is so cliche. This is so dumb. Oprah talked about gratitude. So many people talk about gratitude. I want something new, something sexy. Give me steps to do. Yes. No, it's gratitude. And for me, the working in gratitude has been just like working in, working out. It takes real discipline. Uh-huh. And one thing I used to do with my kids is I would try to get them to, you know, tell me before they went to bed at night because I wanted them to end their day with gratitude. You know, three things you're grateful for. And I have five boys. And you ask a boy what he's grateful for, and you're going to get a crazy response. He's not going to play along. And so I had to trick them. And so I tricked them by saying, what were your three wins of the day? And then they would kind of be tricked into sharing what the highlights were, what they're grateful for. And it's a, and I'm instilling the discipline in them that the last thing you do before you go to bed at night is you think about three things that were awesome today. Mm-hmm. And hello, that's gratitude. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's living in a way where I'm really mindful and looking for things in my day-to-day life to be grateful about. Mm-hmm. And that, that has taken the power away from the anxiety. Because mm-hmm. I can go, I can either sit here and slip into an anxiety spiral worried about something that could possibly happen in the future Or I can force myself to be in the moment and be present and be mindful and choose to be grateful. And that takes so much inner strength to make that choice. It's much easier to let myself slip into an anxiety spiral. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I look at all this and I think, wow, it seems so ironic that it's so difficult to do the positive over the negative. (laughs) You know, like, it's just like, why? Like, why is this so difficult? But just doing the research and your research geek like I am, but that our, our bodies are hardwired for the negative because that's the survival mm-hmm. mechanism of the body. And so it's actually retraining our body to almost be at peace with where we are. Right. 
and stop recognizing everything as a threat in order to kind of move into this positive state. And like you said, gratitude is like one of the easiest ways to do that is to help your body to recognize that life isn't always a constant threat and that there is good in it and that we can focus more on that to walk ourselves out of it. But I keep thinking like, how complex do we make life? Like gratitude is one of the simplest forms of healing, one of the highest forms of healing. It's almost so simple that we overlook it. It's like we, it can't be, it's so easy, it can't be true. And so instead we seek out these really difficult, complex situations that are unnecessary maybe in a way or adding stress. Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it takes such discipline to train our minds and to to focus in on on where we want to go and not focus in on what could possibly go wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about discipline Mm -hmm. really quickly. This wasn't in my plan, but I feel like discipline is this big, scary word, too. And it's like, oh, like so restricting. (laughs) But I feel like there's this level of and you're an Enneagram seven. (laughs) And I feel like this has to be especially true for an Enneagram seven because you're like the fun lover. I don't know if this is the case, but and I, I no, I'm super rebellious yeah. by nature. If someone tells me what to do, I will I would love to do the opposite just to show them up. Yes. Yeah, like very stifling and mm-hmm. rigid. I would say I probably by nature a little bit more of a disciplined person. It depends, oh, yeah. but I'm an Enneagram too, so I'm just a little bit more, but I see this this level of discipline that it takes, even in the health space and business and everything in life. So how do you come to this place of, okay, I understand discipline as a good thing, not as some rigid, strict thing that I need to rebel against. Like, how have you come to a healthy relationship with discipline? (laughs) That's a great question. I think I've come to a healthy place of discipline when it's self-discipline. So what do you mean by that? Break that down. Well, if if someone if someone came to me and said this is what you need to do this is why I could never work for someone else <laughs> this is this is what you need to do do it now I'd be I'd grumble mm-hmm. grumble but if it's self discipline if I'm saying these are the goals I want to reach this is the future I want for future alley whether it's a year from now or five years from now and I have that in mind then I can break down step by steps and discipline myself to achieve them because I know I'm investing in something that I want. Mm. So self-discipline for me is getting easier and easier as I age, Mm. which is maybe it's maturity. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just having a lot of life experience so I can go, okay, I know what's going to happen if I don't discipline myself to, you know, practice Mm -hmm. gratitude, to go to the gym, to eat well, all these other things. I know that my life will fall apart. I've seen enough of my life fall apart through the years or other people's lives fall apart. So I'm just going to make the decision and do it. Mm Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm like the opposite. I feel like self, self-discipline self is harder for me than because I'm a people pleaser by nature. Mm. So I feel like it's easier for me to overlook myself and to be disciplined in helping other people. Well, I'll tell you, I think because I'm a little bit older. How old are you, Alexa? Uh, 31. Okay, so I'm 42. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that some of this comes with age. I think I was probably more like that when I was younger mm-hmm. and I wouldn't invest in myself. But I'm at a point now where I see how important everything mm-hmm. is. And I know so many people are depending on me. Clients depend on me. My kids depend on me. My husband, friends. So many people depend on me for so much that it's completely shifted my perspective from, oh, I don't have time to take care of myself because I have so many people who need me to. The only way I can take care of all of these other people is if I focus in and make sure I'm taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard discipline being defined as almost a freedom 
And I think that's such a freeing way for me to look at it of to say like, okay, if I do these things, like even if I practice gratitude, there's a freedom from anxiety, from worry that can come with that if I just get into the disciplined act of doing it. And for, for me, that comes from my calendar. I'm very disciplined about my calendar. Everything is in there. I make appointments with myself just like I have appointments with other people. And if my calendar said, if I open up Google Calendar during the day in this 30 minutes, I have mm. told myself to do something, I'm going to do it because I know it's important. And I, I schedule every single, every single thing in from, from washing my hair because I have curly hair and it's a process. From washing my hair to going to the gym to doing admin for my business to coaching calls to writing on the next book. Every single thing is in there Monday through Friday all during the workday because it has to be. Of course, if when if I was still in the season where I was home with little kids before they went to school, I wouldn't be able to be so disciplined about it. I wouldn't be able to own it because your time isn't quite your own like it like it is now. Um, but because I do have that luxury, it's it's amazing. And it does bring freedom because here's the thing. You never have to worry what ball you're dropping because, you know, it's all mapped out and everything you need to do is it has a place. And all you have to do is just open up your calendar and do it. I feel like that's against your Enneagram or is that not against your Oh, it's very against my Enneagram. I was going to say, it was like, I feel like that's not a seven at all. No, no. And pe- and sometimes people are surprised that I'm a seven. I am a seven, but I'm a seven with a six wing. So that makes me a little more of a loyalist to people. Um, it makes me also a little more anxious. Six, yeah. Sixes tend to be full of anxiety. Sevens with a six wing also have the gift of really not caring about how they're perceived by others, which is an mm-hmm. interesting thing to have. Um so for me, like you're a people pleaser. I'm not a people pleaser at all. I couldn't care less. Um, I I take care of the people who need me, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm a weird I'm a weird seven. I'm not as I'm not as rebellious and and am impulsive as sevens with an eight wing or just you know pure sevens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I love the enneagram, and you like the enneagram too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I mean. It's not something that I I have ever been super fascinated by, but the more I learn about it, the more I realize just knowing kind of these personality traits about yourself is a really healing thing for us to help us on this journey. Just give us your input on how you feel like just knowing something like your Enneagram number can help you break down, okay, this is this is where I'm strong, this is where I'm weak, and kind of filter life through that. Well, I'll tell you a story. My second oldest son is graduating high school tonight, and my mother is in town for high school graduation. And she was here maybe six months ago, and I, I had her take the Enneagram test. I bought her the test, the $12 one, and then I had her look up her number. She's a four. She's an artist, a creative. Um, and The Road Back to You, the book from Ian Cron, and it has changed her life. Really? She told me, yeah, she told me a couple of months ago that for the first time in her life, she felt she could stop feeling like there was something wrong with her mm. because now she just understands like this is the way she's wired mm-hmm. and the things that she always disliked about herself, she now accepts and feels comfortable with because she knows it's just part of her personality type. And we were in the kitchen this morning just before this podcast and she was she brought it up again just how impactful the enneagram has been for her life and it's even helped her relationships with her husband and her friends because before she would look at certain character traits you know not bad character just you know quirkiness because we're all quirky 
And certain behaviors would get on her nerves. Mm. And now that she knows these people's numbers, she goes, well, that's that's just them being an eight or that's them being a seven. It's not personal. It's not that they have an issue with me. That's just how they that's just how they interact with the world. Mm -hmm. So for her, it's been super, super powerful, because when you know this is how I see the world, these are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. These are the things that I can work on to be really healthy. That's very powerful. Again, it comes back to us having a sense of control in our life. Mm -hmm. Like um, for me, people often think I'm a three. They often think I'm an achiever because I do so much, but I'm a seven. And so threes are motivated by achievement. I don't really care about achievement. Mm -hmm. Sevens are motivated because we don't want to stay in a place of pain. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, I may start a business or reach a new level in my company it's not that I care about the achievement. For me, I think a lot of it may come back to that eight-year-old girl who doesn't want to be stuck poor. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want to be in a place where I'm feeling pain all the time. I don't want to be. I don't want to feel the pain of not being able to provide for my children. So for me, and sevens are also motivated by wanting to have fun. I want to have fun, but I don't ever want to be stuck in a place where I can't provide and I can't take care of people. So yeah. you also start to understand how you see the world, what motivates you, what you're afraid of, and it's life changing. Yeah, I love that story because it is so true. I feel like the more that I understand about my personality and about other people's like for Peyton, my husband, knowing he's an Enneagram three, he's an achiever. Like that wasn't, I feel like that changed our, our marriage in some ways, you know, like we have, I have more understanding about why he does the things that he does and it's not against me. It's just the way that he works. That's how he's wired. There's so much freedom there. And I think that anxiety wants to have a heyday to lead us all to believe that we're alone. And that we're somewhat crazy. And like you said, I think this breaks it down to recognize like, oh, this is just part of who I am. You know, like some of these crazy quirks that I have. I always tell Peyton, it's like, I feel everything. And I used to think that that was like, I carry the weight of the world. And I used to think that that was my biggest problem. You know, it was just that I was alone in that. And just to know, like, that's just part of how I was wired. So if you haven't done the Enneagram, that's going to be your homework today is to go and take the Enneagram test. You like the ready test? Yeah, ready. It's $12. Now, there is a great free one. Beth McCord, who her site is your Enneagram coach, she has a great free one. Mm-hmm. So I, I would take both. Yeah. And she's going to come on the show actually in a few weeks. And so we'll be talking oh, with her about that. Goodness. So we'll dive into this more, but it's so good. Okay. okay. Before we end this podcast, I do want to talk a little bit about health because you've been on a whole yeah. health journey yourself. And I just kind of want to get your take on this. So just kind of give us a little background on the journey that you've been on with your your own health journey. Oh, my health is the worst. That's what that's... <laughs> so I've always been super healthy. And about two years ago, I really think it's because of stress in my life in that season. Mm-hmm. I developed reflux and the reflux with gastritis. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm on like the strongest medicine you can be on. And I, I have it controlled with a special diet, no dairy, no gluten. Um, but I still need the medication. But it was it was really out of control for quite a while with them even trying to figure out what caused it, what set it off, and what we can do about it. Um, so I have slowly gone from a person who said, I'm just going to take care of everybody else. It's fine. I'm not going to worry about me to someone who 
is on a specialized diet. I'm at the gym three mornings a week, which is amazing. I never even liked to exercise before. I can't believe it. Um, still not perfect, still on medication, but I'm learning to be way better to myself. So in this whole journey, you've switched your diet. Like you said, you kind of lifestyle. Yeah. What have you found that's worked well or has gone unexpectedly well? And what has gone, what has been more difficult? It's hmm, a great question. What's worked really well is I, I am shocked at how much better I feel after I exercise. Mm. Like I feel good all day long after I exercise. I don't, I don't enjoy waking up. I don't enjoy driving to the gym. I wake up either at four forty-five or five, and I am, I've gone a couple of laps on the on the track before. I think I'm fully awake. Mm. I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, but I feel great, and I just remind myself that when I leave the gym, I'm going to feel so good, and I'm going to feel good all day long. That's been shocking. Um, what has been difficult is that even though I'm working out and I have a specialized diet, I did Whole30, now I'm doing intermittent fasting, I just can't seem to lose weight. Mm. And I just need to lose about 10 pounds, but it, it's not going anywhere. Right. It's stuck. That's been disappointing to me. Okay. That's like the frustration of the health world, right? Like, that's why everyone listens to the show is, why can't I <laughs> lose the last 10 pounds? Yeah. But I feel like there is a stress component to that as well. And this is like my whole thing with health in my little soapbox is we can do all of this stuff, but if it becomes a bigger stress or we stress about weight loss, will we ever really lose the weight anyways? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, if we're so concerned about that, will it ever come off as opposed to recognizing what we're doing as good and healthy and letting that be our focus and letting weight loss be a byproduct sometime in the future whenever our body sees, deems that fit. You get what I'm mm, saying? Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I think it's like this this mindset shift. And I'm going to ask a question kind of based on this. But my whole idea is that if you're doing these things and you're feeling well, like you said, exercise makes you feel surprisingly well. But we always tie this to this idea of weight loss. I think it's a natural, it's a natural trigger for our body to go back into that survival mode. To say, oh, but I'm not getting the expectation mm-hmm. I am, and so therefore I need to keep hunting, essentially. It's kind of like the idea I have in my mind of, like, I need to keep storing and um, hoarding what is there because I'm never achieving what I think I need to achieve. Again, it goes back to those stories we tell ourselves. So my encouragement to you in this is to look at it as to say, like, this is making me feel really good. And eventually I know in time, if I continue to feel good, that weight loss is always a byproduct of that. Oh, I love that. That's great. But to go to ask you a question with this, and I know at one point I had asked you this and you're like, I don't think I would even know how to answer that. I'm going to make you answer it here. So (laughs) (laughs) I really want to be someone in the health space who can paint a better picture of what health can be. But I think in order to get there, I think we have to be a people who knows where we are and what's not working. And so what do you think? As you've gone on this health journey and you've done Whole30 and you've done exercise and you've kind of followed the ways of the world or, or recognize the health space? What do you think is wrong with it? Hmm. I think, I think I'm going to it from a business perspective. And I would think because there are so many people in the health industry that there is a push to always develop something new and something different and something sexier mm-hmm. because you, you want to be able to sell your product or you want to be able to sell your diet. So you come up with something outlandish because you need to, You need to build a platform and you need to make sales, whether that's necessarily healthy for people or not. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I think the business aspect can is what can make it dangerous. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which is one reason I love what you do, because you go about everything you do from such an authentic perspective. You know, you're not ever going to come out with a, here's a 10-week program to get a bikini body for summer. (laughs) I (laughs) could. But you don't. Yeah, you could. It's that too in me. Sometimes I'm like, oh, the Enneagram too is maybe not the best entrepreneurial type. But then at the same time, I feel like I really got people's backs. So you do. if you I do. was a three, I would maybe do something different. But you would have had that body program. I would have had it and marketed it and all the things. But yeah, yeah, I yeah. totally agree with that, that uh, sometimes the health industry is our own worst nightmare. And it's confusing and it's chaos. But I really amend you for just kind of going on this journey yourself and, and understanding that it's more than just medication. And really, like you said, coming to the realization that you can't help anyone else unless you help yourself. And I think that that's a really healthy place to be. So. Well, thank you. Last question before we get into just a few quick fire questions. How do you Mm -hmm. get yourself out of old mindset patterns and into new ones? I know you mentioned gratitude and kind of your, your battle plan, your mindset battle plan. Are those the two big players that you have? Or do you have anything else that you use to like really overcome your old patterns of thinking and step into something new? Yeah, I like to I like to kind of play the game of uh, that tricks myself into making good decisions or having healthy thought patterns. And I say, if I was really good at this, how would I behave or what would I be thinking about Mm -hmm. this? And once we get a, a little bit of distance from ourselves and kind of get out of our own way, we can go, oh, if I was really going to make a healthy choice or think healthy thoughts about this, I would do I would do this. And then I just make the decision to do it most of the time, not all the time. So do you feel like it's as as simple as like living the way that you want to feel or the living the way that you want to live? Yeah. Yeah. Because for most of our days, we're on autopilot. We're doing things. We're having we're thinking thoughts, but we're completely on autopilot with it. So just uh, having a level of awareness and stepping back and going, mm-hmm. how do I really want to behave? What do I want my thought patterns to be like? That that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good, Allie. You're always a wealth of information and an, another book coming out in the future. I do. Do you have a release date for it's that? It's fall of 2020. So I'm writing it okay. now. Yes. So you have a little time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before we go, and I'll have you back on when that book comes out for sure. Great. But before we go, I have a few quick fire questions. Great. First thing, what's the first thing you do every morning for your health? Um, I take my reflux medicine and <laughs> that's definitely, um, but no, first thing in the morning I do that. And then three days a week I go to the gym and the other days of the week, uh, I don't. So I guess, honestly, it would just be, it would just be taking the medicine. That's a boring answer. Taking the medicine? Yeah. But it's necessary. It's necessary. What is, what is your favorite mindset book? Do you have one? Ooh, I've read Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, and it was really good. Okay. I'll link that up in yeah. the show notes. I don't think I've read that one yet. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, it's full of research. It's it's not a page turner, mm-hmm. but it's it's quite good. good. Yeah. What's one thing you do for a healthy mind every day? Pray. Easy peasy. You kind of start your day there too, don't you, before you work? I do, except when I'm in busy seasons, I don't mm. start with a time of prayer and then I I tend to pay for it all day long. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And the last question, what's the best piece of advice you could leave us with? Hmm. A great question. Let me think about it for a second. You know what comes to mind is the classic quote from Abraham Lincoln: "You're as happy as you make up your mind to be." Mm. Because we're going to have difficulties, we're going to have storms in life, we're going to have challenges. But if we make up our mind that 
we're going to rise above the challenges. We're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to take care of our mind. We're going to take care of our health. That takes the power away and brings the power back inside of us. Mm-hmm. So we aren't victims of this world, but we're active participants. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that we can – we're about as happy as we make up our mind to be. Yeah, I like that. I like just the, the thought that we don't have to be the victim, you know, that we can, yeah. we can have some power. Okay. Perfect. Tell us where we can learn more about you and what you do. I know you've been on here a few times, so people probably already hopefully follow you, but tell us again. My website is AllieWorthington.com, and I have some great free gifts. I send out a Sunday happiness tip every Sunday afternoon, which is really fun. And I have a podcast called The Allie Worthington Show, and I'm on Instagram as Allie Worthington. And you have a few books. Oh, yes, I have a few books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can find out more about those on on um, on the website. And those are all on Amazon, of course. Right. Anyways, you can find all that over in the show notes, and I'll make sure and link everything up. But thank you so much for being here again, Allie. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Man, I just love Allie. And I know I started rambling a lot on that podcast, and I think it's just because I feel so comfortable with her, and it was more conversational style than interview style. So sorry if I was rambling too much, but I really do love Allie, and every piece of advice that she has ever given me has been useful and life-giving in my own life, and I hope it has been in yours as well. So make sure you check out Allie's books, Fierce Faith and Breaking Busy, Two books that have been instrumental in helping me on my own health journey that I love and recommend to so many people. Also, don't forget to follow Allie over at AllieWorthington.com and find her on Instagram. She posts a lot of funny things, not to mention she has a pretty amazing podcast called The Allie Worthington Show. So make sure you check that out as well. But in the meantime, don't forget to head to the show notes at SimbirdsWellness.com backslash 166 to get all the information on today's show and download that free guide called The Joy Experiment. Next week with Monday Motivation, we're gonna kind of change it up. We've been talking for the last three or four weeks about creating this battle plan, visualizing new things, putting it into action. Next week, we're gonna kind of dive a little bit more into health with a few health practices that I think that you should work on for summer. We're just gonna kind of start to break it up, and I'm gonna share next week my own journey with where I am in this health mindset battle of my own, and where I am in my own health and mindset journey. I've learned a lot, and I really feel like it's time to start sharing that. Then we're going to hop back in with more interviews coming up in July. So stay tuned. Again, thank you so much for being here. If you have a few minutes, take time to rate and review the show at simpleswellness.com backslash review. I love you guys. Thank you so much for sticking around, and I believe in you. I'm here for you, and I see such good things in your future. Stay tuned, and I will see you back here on Monday with those health tips.